Open your Bibles, if you will, to uh, Luke chapter 1. Now, I, I got a question as I'm doing this, because does John, like, preach too long or something, or a long time? Because I got a clock here, I got a clock there. I don't remember that last time. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. You know those things don't work anyway, right? Uh, Luke chapter 1. You know, as I, the older I get, man, time just flies and flies and flies. I just had my 52nd birthday this week, so I'm getting to be an old man. 50... Don't applaud me, man. I, went, I didn't do anything about it. You know, I just, uh, you can applaud my mom. She's the one who went through the hard part. But it, I, there you go. Mom's applauding. Yeah. But the older I get, the more time flies and the more you just kind of realize, hey, this is like 2014. And I think to myself, you know, it, it's just a little closer all the time before I get to see Christ face to face. Now that excites me. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to like short circuit the plan, whatever days God has, but I'm plumb excited about the idea of getting to see Christ in fullness and to know him fully just as I have been fully known. Do you feel like that? I mean, do you look forward to the day when that's going to happen? It's, it's an amazing thing, and, and as we come to this time of year, Christmas time, you know, I think of the, the fact that for years and years and years, the prophecy of God's word had been given, right? And these people are waiting for Christ, but they're waiting for the first incarnation, right? They're waiting for the Messiah, and they don't even fully get what's going to be happening with that, right? But they're excited. But then, remember how the Bible kind of you know, works? You have the Old Testament, all the prophecies going on, on there, and then all of a sudden, about 400 years before Christ came, what happened? It just went, you know, crickets, right? Just went quiet. Nothing. These were people that from the beginning had had, you know, God walking in the garden, right? And then there were prophets and there were angels and there were all kinds of things that were going on. And their word was continually coming. They always had that guy pretty much in their midst who was telling them, hey, here's what God has to say on matters. And then things go quiet for four Hundred years. Think about that. Four hundred years. Four hundred years ago, there were half a billion people on planet Earth. They estimate. Okay. So what do you get from that? Real life, real time, real history. Right. All this stuff is going on in time and space. And they were both righteous in the sight of the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the law. That's pretty cool, by the way, to have the Word of God say that about you. Right. So we're dealing with, well, these are faithful people, okay? So when I talk about the reaction of Zacharias a little bit, I want you to have the context here. This is a faithful guy reacting this way, right? They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, this, her being barren, of course, was a really, that was considered a reproach. I mean, this was a bad deal. You can go back to Deuteronomy 7.14, Genesis 16.4 with Hagar and Sarah. You can go here or with Elizabeth. Over and over, scriptures. He gives us examples of how hard that was for this person not to be able to bear a child. And so Elizabeth was barren, and, and they were old in years, so there wasn't a whole lot of hope in this, right? By the way, the truth that you want to grab a hold of here is that man's extremity is God's opportunity. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, when things are kind of like looking hopeless, this is a chance for God to really show himself. Now, it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, you got the picture there. So here's kind of that routine. And the way it would work is these guys, they would cast lots back in the day, 
guys would be chosen, and those were the guys who would go in and kind of carry out the functions that had to be done inside the temple. All right? Just normal stuff. You know, you got to do stuff with the showbread. You got to do stuff with the incense, all that kind of stuff. So it's just another day in Judaism. And, and he's chosen by God, the providence of God, to enter the temple and to burn incense. Now, picture the temple, okay? The way it was lined out is you had, remember, you had a, the holy place and then the holy of holy place. Remember that? All right? And it was separated by what? A veil, right? A big, heavy curtain. Now, behind that curtain, which only the high priest could go in, only one time, there was the, the Ark of the Covenant, right? And that was the place, the mercy seat, where God resided, all this kind of stuff. Right in front of that curtain, as you go into the holy place, you have, over to the right, you have the showbread. Over to the left, you have the lampstand, the light, and all that kind of stuff. But right in front of that curtain, you have the altar of incense. So it's here that Zacharias has been chosen by lot, by God, by the providence of God, to stand at that spot, right before, as close as you can get, really, to the holy of holies, and perform his priestly duty. And it's there while the whole people, verse 10, were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense. Just another day in Judaism, and all of a sudden, boom, an angel of the Lord comes right beside the altar. What would you do if you were sacrificed? Think about that for a minute. You're just going to like lighten some incense, doing that kind of stuff, and boom, the glory, you know, it's just, boom, this angel's here. Well, here's what Zechariah did. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him. Fear gripped him. And the angel said, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John, which means mercy or gift of God. Okay, so stop, stop being afraid. You're going to have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. That's a good message, right? I mean, if you're sitting there at an advanced age with a barren wife and you've been praying for, this, for your wife to have a child, an angel appears and gives you this, this would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? For he will, it goes further than that. It's not just having a baby, but look at verse 15. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. I mean, I don't know what that does to your pro-life, right? Definitely tells you something there, doesn't it? And he, he will turn back many sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to return the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Malachi 4, 6. And the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a pretty awesome thing, right? You're going to not only have this kid, but let me tell you what. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the one that prepares a, a way for the Lord. Zechariah's response is interesting here as you look at the passage. Zechariah says this. He says, how will I know this for certain? For I am old man. My, my wife is advanced in years. I mean, he's, he's, he's expressing doubt here, isn't he? And the angel answers and says, I am Gabriel who stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, Here's your sign. You want a sign? You will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because, here, check it out, you did not believe my words. Now, don't get too hard on Zacharias here because he was a righteous guy. Remember that when we first started in this? He was a guy who loved the Lord. But even people who love the Lord can have doubts at times, right? And, and make bad decisions at times. 
People are outside. They're wondering what's going on, what's the delay? And when Zacharias comes out, verse 22, he was unable to speak, which, by the way, is a pretty significant thing because what happened when that guy came out after doing those functions, he would come out and bless the people. And people were like, out there like, all right, here comes the blessing from the Lord. He comes out and it's like, got nothing, can't speak. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Literally there, that's the idea of mute. Can't, in the, like we think of it as, as you can't speak, but also deaf as well can't hear. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. This isn't going to be a virgin birth. He needed to go home and see Elizabeth, right? And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace from among men. She had the better reaction. So the silence is broken. God appears. And the first guy goes, well, I hear you, but how do I know it's so? The one I want to take you to this morning is, is the story of Mary because she gives the best reaction. And that begins in verse 26, all right? Mary, what happens with Mary here? She comes face to face with God's word. And what God tells her through his angel Gabriel here is difficult, right? It's amazing. It's probably a tad bit scary. But I want you to note her response. And I want to do this for a very specific reason because I want us to think of ourselves in terms of how do we respond when God's truth is made clear to us. Do we respond in a position of doubt? Well, come on, Lord, just, you know, maybe you need to show me a sign. Or do we just say, you know, thus saith the Lord, and that's my life has to change in whatever way it is that's come up here. Mary faced a crisis of belief, right? God's saying something, will I submit? Will I trust him? And look at what happens here. Verse 26. Now in the sixth month, of the, angel, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now the sixth month there is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that I just read to you about. The angel Gabriel comes. He, he, by the way, the angel Gabriel, he seems to be kind of God's choice angel for delivering message, messages related to uh, prophecy, end times, the Messiah, that kind of stuff. For example, Daniel 8, he says, I'm going to let you know that the things that will occur in the final period. Daniel 9, the, the prophecy of the 70 weeks, it's, it's Gabriel that comes and gives that about how the Messiah is going to come. He's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to be cut off, and then there's another week that's yet to come, right? In Luke 1, again, it's Gabriel uh, who came to Zacharias, the messenger who's going to precede Jesus is coming, and here with his, the, Messiah, the message of the Messiah coming to Mary. So he's sent from God to a city in, in Galilee called Nazareth now, okay? Nazareth is the Bakersfield of the Bible, all right? You know what that means, right? I mean, this is a place that's not on the beaten path. Okay, there's no major roads that go through it. If you're going to Nazareth, you've you got to kind of go over there and go to Nazareth. It's, it's a, a place that doesn't have the great trade routes. Uh, the important roads are passing it by. Uh, it's about 95 miles from Jerusalem is the way you would travel, and about 70 miles as the crow flies. And to a lot of people, it's a contemptible place, right? You remember John 1? I mean, 
this is after, after John is born to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and he grows up, remember, he, he finally he reveals Jesus for who he is, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember this? Right? And, and, and the, some of the guys who are going to be disciples are there, and they're like, whoa, this is awesome. And they're talking it out, and they're going to each other. And finally, one of them goes over to a cat named Nathaniel and says, hey, there's this guy, and, and he's from Nazareth, and he, he's the Messiah. And, and Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's not possible, right? But it is there in Nazareth. The Messiah. His coming birth is announced. And the angel Gabriel appears there after being quiet in the fullness of time. He says... In a city called Nazareth, he's coming. To a, verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And that virgin's name was Mary. Now, to put this in perspective, we've had the example already of Zacharias, right? This is a, a, a full, mature man, able to serve as a priest, chosen as a priest by his bloodline, chosen by Lot to go in there. This is the guy, right? And he gets the message, and he's like, well, I don't know. What about this? Is this true? Could you show me something more than an angel standing beside the altar of incense? <laughs> now, what's going to happen here? What happens here is this angel appears to a girl named Mary who is engaged, as it says here. And just so you know, that engagement period back then, typically the, the, the girl would have been between, say, 12 and 13 years old. Think about that one for a little bit. She's a pre-people. She's a junior higher. It's a dangerous age, right? Typically, the custom was she would be engaged about 12 or 13. There would be an initial stage of that, which is the betrothal or the engagement period. Usually would last about a year. By the way, it's not like our engagements where it's like, you know, I'm sorry, this isn't working out. You know, maybe we give me the ring back, you know. It's not that kind of engagement. This is the only way this engagement betrothal could be ended was death or, get this, divorce. That's how serious it was. And then after that year, there'd be a, a marriage ceremony, kind of like the parable of the ten virgins, if you remember that. So he appears to this virgin who is engaged to a man whose name is Joseph. He's of the descendants of David. That's important, right? Because that's prophecy being fulfilled. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, verse 28, he says to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. I don't know about you. If you're 12 or 13 and an angel shines into the room, right, and says, Greetings, favored one. You know, you're okay. It's going to be a little shocker, right? By the way, the favored one there, just to get your theology kind of straightened out, uh, it's the idea of recipient of God's grace, blessed one, that kind of thing. It is not the idea that she's favored because she's perfectly holy, which some uh, places teach, right? She's still a sinner. She's still in need of God's grace, just like everybody else who's ever been born, right? Other than Christ. I mean, Luke chapter 1, verse 47, she, she says in the Magnificat, which, by the way, read that thing and think of her as a 12 or 13-year-old saying this kind of stuff. Wow, are we immature or what? And she, she says it in Luke 1, 47, she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, check this out, my Savior. She knew she needed a Savior too. She's not immaculate. She's not without sin, right? Greetings, 
favor one, the Lord is with you. What does that mean? Remember, we're used to hearing, you know, about the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory, different things like that. We're so cool with that because we've heard that our whole lives, right? Where did the Lord dwell then? I mean, all through the history, you've seen pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, right? He's in the Holy of Holies, all this kind of stuff. He might come upon a prophet or a king or something at different times. This is totally crazy. The Lord is with you. And so verse 29, it says, she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation, what kind of greeting this was. By the way, perplexed in the New American Standard, which I'm reading from, says she's very perplexed at this statement. Not maybe the, the most clear translation of the Greek word there. The Greek word there is diatarasomai. comes from the root teraso, which means troubled. Like uh, Christ said, uh, he's talking about his heart being troubled in the garden. That was teraso. When, when, the, uh, uh, when he was at the, by the graveside of Lazarus and his heart, remember Jesus wept and all that? It says that he was teraso. He was troubled. In John 12, 27, my soul has become troubled. In Matthew 14, 26, when the disciples are in the boat, they see Jesus walking on the water like a ghost, right? They think it's a ghost, and it says they were terrasso. They were troubled, perplexed. Well, this is dia terrasomai, which is terrasso plus a preposition basically attached on the front. And what the Greeks do in there is when it really wanted to intensify a word, terrasso, it would add a preposition on the front of it. Dia terrasso is the root. Okay, so it's like greatly troubled. This is like really just, I'm upset. I'm really just struggling with this, okay? By the way, in verse 12, Zacharias, when it says that he was troubled, and uh, that, that's the same word, it's just terrasso there. It's used to his reaction. Here's even more intense. She's greatly troubled. She's perplexed. She's like, what does this mean? The Lord is with me. How? The angel sees that she's troubled, and he says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Literally, do not be afraid. Stop trembling. It's, it's the negative may plus the present imperative, which is stop doing something you're already doing. Stop being troubled. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. There's good news. Again, this is a 12 or 13-year-old girl getting this message. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. How awesome is that? You found grace with God. It's so reminiscent, isn't it, of Noah? If you go back to Genesis 6, the exact same thing is said about Noah. It says, in the middle of man's total depravity, when depravity has seemed to be at its peak that it's ever been in the history of mankind, right? And the whole world is doing nothing but evil continually. That's the picture in Genesis 6, right? And it says, but Noah found favor with God. And by the way, that's the first occurrence of the word grace which is what it is in the Septuagint, the Greek translation. It's the first occurrence of that word in the Bible. Noah found favor with God. What does that mean? Can you and I find favor with God? Can we find grace with God? Absolutely, right? We have if we're a believer already, huh? But you think about this as you see this pattern throughout Scripture with a guy like Noah. God looks and he sees a guy whose who's heart sold out to him who's useful. He, he sees a girl who, be it 12 or 13, like Mary, who is, who is sold out to God in her heart. Maybe she's not the most mature. Maybe she's not arrived. Well, she hadn't arrived, right? 
but he still says, I can use this person to accomplish my divine plan to my glory. Moses, right? The burning bush. Moses wasn't going, you know, he wasn't out in the wilderness going, wow, man, I really want to do something big for God. I wonder if I can find something here. Maybe I'll send my resume out to God, you know. To, we're looking for a God thing to get involved with. Moses is walking along with the sheep, okay, and he sees a burning bush because God put a burning bush up there that didn't get consumed, right? He sees that, and he's curious, so he goes up there, and God says, hey, I got something I want you to do. You're a man who, who loves me. You're a man after my own heart, if you were to use David terminology, right? And I want you to be the one who is my mouthpiece and carry out my work that's part of my divine plan of deliverance. Pretty cool. Well, Moses wasn't perfect. Moses didn't earn it or anything like that. But what you're looking at with Noah or Moses or David or any of these people, is God looks at them and sees the opportunity of somebody who's going to respond favorably to God's direction and follow through with what needs to be accomplished in God's plan that was made before the foundations of the earth. God sovereignly chose Mary to use her to accomplish his plan to deliver his people, not because she deserved it, but she was available, she was humble, she was willing, she was obedient, she had a fear of the Lord by his grace, every bit of that. Don't, by the way, on this, on this idea of usefulness, don't confuse justification and sanctification. You know what I'm saying there? I mean, we get saved by the grace of God, right? And then by the grace of God, we're sanctified, true? And sanctification is that process where we are being conformed more and more into the image of God's Son. You understand that, right? Give me one of these. Okay? As we are being conformed more and more, we are more useful for tasks, true? We're not less saved, more saved, any of that kind of stuff, right? We're just more useful at times. And instead of rejecting like so many do, they, they see creation and they reject their creator and trade it for the one, the creature itself. These people like Noah, Moses, Mary, and other great men and women throughout time were people who acknowledged God, gave him the glory, submitted to a sanctification process, humbly served, and followed him. God looked at Mary and saw somebody whose heart was completely his. That's really it, right? Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And here's a person who he can trust to carry out a very, very difficult plan. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Yahweh saves, the Messiah. This is the one who's spoken on all the way back in the garden, right? The one who's going to crush the serpent's head, right? This is the one who is prophesied of, well, this is the redeemer that Job looked for. I know that my redeemer lives. The prophets look forward. Isaiah 53. All these great prophecies are pointing, and now the time has come. You will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Messiah that Israel longed to see. Now look at what Gabriel, what else Gabriel says here of Christ. Verse 32. It says, he will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. There's a lot in there. You can do four sermons on that, passage, that verse alone. First, he says he'll be great. That doesn't ring much in our ears because everything's great for us anymore, right? They got great tacos. That was a great movie last night. It's great, 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 great. Everything's great. It's great pulpits, great microphone, great clock. You know, everything's great. When he says he'd be great, he means it the way the words it is. Like awesome, right? That's awesome, you know. He's great. He's great. That's an understatement to us, but it's like Hebrews 1.3 says, he, Christ, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That's Christ. That's greatness. <laughs> Did you hear that? He is the exact representation of God, God in flesh, right? He is the, he has his nature, uh, he, he upholds everything. Remember that from Colossians maybe? He sustains everything. He will be great, that's great. He will be called the son of the most high. That's what they call him too, right? And it's funny because did these things literally happen so far? You bet they did. So guess what? As the stuff that hasn't happened yet, that's the first, related to his second coming rather than his first coming, you think that's going to come true literally as well, just like the first part did? Yeah. The Lord will give him the throne of David, the throne of David that was established in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7.13. Its fulfillment is starting to be realized here. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, oh, I love this, his kingdom will have no end. Isn't that awesome? No end. The last stands of amazing grace is when we've been there 10,000 years. Remember the 400 seems like a long time. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. See, that's eternity, right? His, his throne will be eternal when it's all consummated, the little kingdom, and when it's all consummated for eternity, it's going to be such an awesome thing, and it'll be, we'll be praising God forever. His kingdom will literally have no end. By the way, great theological truth to hold on to when you're facing the, the hard things in life. And this is the kind of things that Christ looked forward to as he faced the cross for the, the hope set before, right? Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? It's a fair question. By the way, that translation, again, this is not the greatest. It's really this. It's how will this be? You see the difference? How can this be? It's kind of like, how can that happen? It's like doubt, right? But this is how will this be since I'm a virgin. Now, Virgin birth, we've all heard of virgin birth, virgin birth, virgin birth our whole time in the Christian church, right? This is a foreign concept at this point, right? You understand this. No virgin births till now, okay? How, how, how will this be since I'm a virgin? God's silent for 400 years, reopens revelation here, right? And it's staggering. Man is faced, Mary here is faced with God's truth, his word, and the question now is, do I believe what God says is going to happen, can happen, will happen? And, and if I believe that, what, what, what will my response be? It will be to obey and it will be to follow. It's a, it's a crisis of belief. Am I going to believe what God says and respond? Because what you believe 
really determines what you do next. You understand that, right? True faith issues forth, not perfectly, but it issues forth in responses that are responses of obedience. Well, Mary here, she does believe, she does obey, and she does follow because she trusts God and his promises. Gabriel answers her question in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. By the way, not Joseph, it's the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High, okay? That's, that's going to happen. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called, not the son of Joseph, but the son of God, because he is God's son. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who has, was called barren is now in her sixth month. Again, that's by natural means, that's Zachariah's child. Nobody said that's the son of God. Everybody said that's Zachariah's son, John. She was barren, now has a baby in her womb. You're a virgin, and you're about to have a baby in your womb. And then here's a beautiful verse. Look at verse 37. It's a memory verse, you know what I'm saying? What is it? One, two, three, seven words. That's a good one to memorize, right? If you're going to start with that, you don't have to start with Jesus wept. You can move up to seven whole words, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. That's a great one, isn't it? I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road kind of verse, right? Uh, God, you want me to share with this guy that I work with? I'm a little nervous about that. What's going to happen? Am I going to lose my job? Is somebody going to hate me? All this kind of stuff. Hey, just listen. Just follow me and obey me, right? Nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. That's not saying he's going to get saved, it's, but it's saying, follow me. Get out of the boat, get onto the water. Walk with me. See, we in America, we're all about results, right? We're very pragmatic. I, want to do, I will do anything if I know it's going to get the response I want, right? Are you with me on that? No, you're not, you liar. Is everybody in the church lying? Right? If you have, I desire A, and the steps to get to A are B, C, D, E, you will do B, C, D, and E if you know that you will get A. True? Yeah, that's just the way people operate, right? The faith walk is so very, very different than that, isn't it, folks? Because what God says, I want you to do A, and let me take care of what happens with B, C, D, E, and E. Whatever right? So God says, I want you to do crazy stuff sometimes, right? I want you to trust me with your finances. I know you're looking at uh, a surgery that's going to cost money. I know that you got a car payment. I know your house. I know times are bad. Maybe your job's not good. I want you to trust me with your money. I want you to trust me with your children. I know that everybody else's children get to do this and everybody else's children get to do that, but I want you to raise them the way I want you to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? I want you to trust me with your spouse. That means, wives, submit to your husband. Well, I don't want to submit to him. He's fallen. I know total depravity, and he is total depravity at times. Trust me, Christ says. Husbands, love your wife. And I don't think this is easier or harder, okay? It's, they're both just really hard. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. What does that mean? Absolutely sacrificially, Right? Totally looking out for their best interest over your own best interests. Willing to give your, lay down your life. Not just on death life, 
but life as you live it, life. God says, hey, I want you to be of a certain character. Well, I don't know that I can do my business that way and be as profitable as I'd like to be. Follow me, right? I don't know if I can do what you're saying here, Lord, because I don't want to be thought of as a fanatic. I don't want people to hate me. I don't want to be put out. I just, I, I have my own desires. Follow me. Trust me. Because here's the deal. What I call you to do, what I ask for you to do in my word, is from my good, loving, sovereign, powerful hand. And nothing's impossible with me. I'm going to work according to the counsel of my will to bring glory to my name through this. And if you're listening carefully, you're saying, wait a minute, did he mean I was going to be happy in it? Maybe my circumstances are going to be easy and good and all that kind of stuff? It's not what it says. Think of Rogers being burned to death on the stake in London, you know, 500 years ago. And it's like, whoa, that, what happened there? Or James, if you want to go to a biblical one where he gets his head taken off after he's captured after the, the, the ascension of, of Christ. What happened there? Well, God, you could have just, you did it with Peter, or you're going to do it with Peter later, right? Where you go in, Peter's in jail by the same people. <laughs> You went in, he said, an angel, chains fell off, doors opened, you walked out, went down to the prayer meeting, they were praying, they didn't really believe it happened, you know, all that kind of stuff. You, you did it, you're going to do that with Peter. Why do you do that with James? Because at that point, there was more glory in the death of James than the life of James. And at that point, there was more glory in the life of Peter than the death of Peter at that point. By the way, Peter later would be killed. And in case you're really worried about the pain and agony of James... The minute his head was severed from his body, where was he? In the presence of who? His eyes seeing the fullness of Christ. Does that sound terrible? That's the worst thing they can do, if you want to think about it that way, is they could kill you for your faith. How low of a view of heaven do we have that we're scared to death to be killed for our faith if it came to that. Listen, God says, I'm good. We know God's good, right? That's part of his uh, incommutable attributes. We know that he is uh, sovereign. We know that he has the power. So when he asks us to do something, he asks us to be something. Why do we fret about the outcome? Why don't we just trust him? Why don't we just follow him? For nothing will be impossible with God. I love that. By the way, that's a theme throughout scripture, right? Sarah, you're going to have a baby. She starts laughing. Genesis 18 and it said, hey, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the point in time, I'm going to return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Boom. Guess what? That's exactly what happened. God can accomplish whatever he wants. Listen to scripture, Psalm 115.3. But our God is in the heavens. He does, check this out, whatever he pleases. That's pretty cool. Jeremiah 32.17. Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. But he does according, talking of God, according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
Mark 10, 27. Jesus said, with people it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I love this because what that means is God can do what seemingly cannot be done, okay? Things which are impossible with men are possible with God. There is no heart that is too hard or wicked to be changed. There is no heart of stone that cannot be made a heart of flesh. There is no trial that is too hard to be borne properly. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And the mountains become plains. You know what I'm saying? How does that affect you you sharing your faith and your witness? You ever had that where you knew a guy and he's like, man, he's just a a blasphemer. You know, he just hates God so much and he's always making jokes about God and saying things that he shouldn't say and all that kind of stuff. I'd share with him, but you know what? He's too far gone. Mm -mm. God can save the hardest of hearts. He saved your heart. He can save their heart. (coughs) Amen. Better yet. Okay, I know you didn't get that. Look at the neighbor next to you. Look to who's sitting beside you. Go ahead, look. Look, go ahead. Seriously. He saved them. See what I mean? He can save anybody. I'm telling you, that's why Jesus Christ came. You know? we, we, our depravity, our, our, our theology of depravity is, hey, you know what? Depravity is pretty bad, but maybe with everybody else especially. Uh-uh. You know, you're lying or you're any little thing. You say, well, I didn't kill anybody. It doesn't matter if you didn't kill anybody. If you hated, Jesus says, that's the same as killing, right? I didn't commit adultery. Well, you look for a woman with lust. You committed adultery already with, in your heart, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. True? I mean, here's the deal. All of us are, are saturated in sin. And all of us need a Savior. All of our hearts are absolutely hard as diamonds apart from the work of God. We don't see anything apart from the work of God. No man comes unless the Father what? So I don't care how bad you think that neighbor of yours is or the guy you work with or whatever. Let me just tell you what. You show him Christ and you talk to him about Christ. And let's see what God does because here's the deal. Nothing is impossible with God. We're not called to sit here and just kind of hold our, our stewardship of the gospel in a little under a bushel, right? Or bury it in the backyard. That's not what the calling is. If our calling was just to get saved and kind of hang out until the rapture or whatever, right? Then boom, what, what would be the purpose in that? The purpose of that is we have a calling. We are ambassadors of Christ. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're called to live that and to tell that and to help people to come to see who Christ is by the grace of God. And that's your calling if you're a Christian. Amen? It is. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, check it out, verse 38. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. That's what she says to Gabriel. Not, hey, I need a sign, not any of that kind of stuff, just do loss. Look, slave. Slave of the Lord. That's what I am. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Complete Submission to the word. It is one thing to hear. It is another thing to humbly and submissively respond and do. 
Mary chose the better. <laughs> to submit to God's word, to obey. And the angel departed from her. He gave the word. She responded to the word. Mission accomplished back to the throne room of God. And that's the reason why we, we're all about Christmas, right? I mean, this is, Christmas isn't really our big, our big holiday in the end, Easter is, but I, we get awful excited about Christmas for a lot of different reasons, but this is the big one, right? Because Jesus Christ came. And yeah, I understand he didn't come on December 25th and all that kind of stuff, but let me just tell you what, I can celebrate the fact that Christ came. Because Christ doesn't die on the cross if he don't come, right? That's really good English, by the way. I'm from Texas. That's the way we talk. So, you know, that's, that's, why, we're, that's why we're excited, man. That's the greatest gift ever given, right? And, but as you come to that passage, you know, what, it, what does that mean now? Yeah, we know Christ came. But how do I respond as I come to a truth like what we've seen here in the, in the life of, of this teenager lived out before us? So she got the word of God and responded to it. There's a couple of things I want to leave you to think about, okay? Three of them. Number one, I want us to think about how does God see me? In other words, as God chose for who he was going to use, he chose a humble and willing servant whose heart was all his. And he found Mary, okay? He knew that it was Mary. And he chose her and he used her to bear the Messiah. And God still, do you believe God's still working? You believe God's still working? Like, I mean, the, if you don't, you're not going to ever share the gospel because that's God working. As God looks around for people to use mightily in accomplishing his work, what does he see when he looks at me or you? Are we ready? Are we willing? Are we going to submit if he asks us to share with it, that neighbor or that person in the next cubicle? Or are we going to do that or are we just so concerned with our own stuff and our own comfort? We're not willing to step out in faith. What does he see? I think back in 1 Samuel 16 when God was choosing a king for Israel at their own request. He sent his prophet to the house of Jesse to choose from Jesse's son. And the prophet looked at these guys as they went through from central casting, right? Tall, good-looking men coming through. There's Jesse, surely he's him. Eliab, surely he's him, right? And he's looking at the, the prophet's going, yeah, that's got to be the guy, man. He looks kingly. And God's like, nope, not him. Mm-mm, not that one either. What about that one? No, not that one. Well, we've been through all of them now, God. What, what's up? Are there any other sons that aren't in here, Jesse? Yeah, there's the little guy, David. He's out with the flocks. You know, somebody's got to watch the stuff, you know. Well, we're not going to sit down. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to rest. We're not going to eat. We're not going to do anything until he's in here. Go get him. Bring him in here. And he brings him in. And God says, boom, that's the one. Why? Because as God says of his own man, that is a man who is after my own heart. Now, was David perfect? No, David sinned. Big sins, right? But he, he, was, he had a heart that was humble, submitting. And when he sinned, it was a repentant heart. It was pliable. You and I, we're going to sin. It's gonna, I mean, we'd, we'd love to think it's never going to happen anymore at some point in our life, but we're not Wesleyan, so we don't get there. And, and the reality is this. We will sin. We don't seek after it. We fight the good fight and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes we allow our flesh to make bad decisions. How quick do, am I willing to repent of my sins? How fast, right? 
That's our usability. How willing. Now, there are sins that have effects, and we're not going into all that, you know, that might preclude you from certain ministries. But I'll tell you this, God is calling you to do something. You're not in that boat. You see what I'm saying? And if you are, if you don't know if you're in the boat, you can check scripture and it'll tell you what those things are. God looked at Mary and she had a heart for him. What, what does God see when he looks at us? Are we available? Are we so scheduled out that we don't even have time to invite somebody over to our house with the purpose of getting to know him better so that we can talk to him about Jesus at some point? Are we so concerned with our own comfort that we're not willing to cross the planet and go to a land where somebody needs to hear the gospel. How does God see me? Number two, am I trusting in God's promises? Mary was promised something quite amazing and perhaps really hard to believe, but you know what she did? She trusted what God said in his promise. You're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you will bear the Messiah. She trusted that. And what we need to ask is, do we trust God for his promises? You say, well, I haven't had an angel appear to me and give me a promise. Well, let me just tell you what, you got better than that. You have the more more sure word right here. Okay, and it's full of a lot of promises. Promises like, oh, I don't know, Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the rest of the things will be added to you, will fall into place. Is that the promise you're willing to go? You know, I'm going to trust that promise. I'm going to spend my life seeking God in my work and my family and every component of my life without compartmentalization. I'm going to follow him that way and let the rest of things fall into place. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I mean, are we at that point? That's a promise from God, right? Or how about Philippians 1.6? He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's a promise of faithfulness, right? He saved me. He's going to continue to work on me and change me. And I'm going to submit myself to that promise. And I'm not going to doubt the fact that he's still working in my life, even when it's hard at times for me to see, because I want to see A accomplished right now. But he has a plan for B, C, D, and E first. Am I willing to trust in that promise? How about a promise like Philippians 4.19? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know what that means, right? He will give you everything you need to bring glory to him. You say, wait a minute. <clears throat> Christmas is coming up, and I'd like to get my wife a uh, Mercedes-Benz SL550. And uh, I'm looking at my bank account. I don't really have the money for that. He's not supplying it. No, no, don't go there, okay? You go watch TBM later. Here's the deal. This is the thing, all right? He's going to give you everything you need to bring glory to him. And is that what your goal is? The chief end of man is to glorify God, right? To enjoy him forever. So instead of putting it on a checklist of, is my house big enough, cool enough, nice enough? Is my wife pretty enough, my children this enough, that enough? Are they the star soccer player? What? Instead of putting things in those kind of weird categories, start saying, God, with what you've given me, how can I bring glory to your name in this? And I know you'll give me everything I need to do that. That's cool, right? That changes things. Paul says, I know how to do with a lot, and I know how to do with a little in that same context. I know what it's like to be hungry and give God glory. I know what it's like to be filled and give God glory. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches, right? That's a pretty good resource. Glory in Christ Jesus. 
How about a promise like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? We've dealt with, we have sin in our life, right? And we need to take that repentantly to Christ and confess our sins to him and seek his forgiveness. And you know what? Quit bringing it back up when he's, when he's forgiven you for it. You know, letting Satan beat you up on it and accuse you so you can get back in the game. Romans 8, 28, for we know that God causes all things for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. All things? That report from the doctor says you just got cancer? All things? That call from the sheriff that just told you your child got killed in a head-on collision? All things? Yes. All things to those who love him, to those who are called according to his glory. He'll work that together for good and for his glory. Do you believe that promise? It's a hard one at times. I understand that. How about this one? Exodus 34, 7. He will by no means let the guilty go unpunished. Do you believe that promise? Or closely related, John three sixteen, right? He's got a way where we don't have to be unpunished. The punishment will fall upon Christ and we can be saved. And once saved, Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible's full of promises. And the question that we got to come to is, am I, are we trusting in God's promises and believing them to be true? I, I tell you what, God causing all things to work together for good in front of that, and when you have that stage four cancer response from your doctor, is no harder to believe than you're going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. True? Trust him. It's the cry of the word of God, isn't it? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me, God says. And I will show myself faithful. Am I trusting in God's promises? Nothing is impossible with God. That's so awesome. He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. The Bible tells us that's a promise. Number three. How does God see me? Am I usable? Am I trusting in God's promises? Number three, am I submitting to God's word? Mary humbled herself and submitted to God's word. Verse 38, may it be done to me according to your word. You know, he asked great things and he asked hard things. And you've got to understand for Mary, you know what that meant? You're going to go tell everybody that you got pregnant by the Holy Spirit and they're going to, what? You know, I think people are going to go, yep, that's what happened. Do I submit when he asks hard and great things of me? For example, Colossians 3.13, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others, right? There's people you might need to forgive you haven't forgiven. Well, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Well, I don't care what they did to you, sister, brother, right? All I know is what God's word says. Forgive them. Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands. Man. That's a hard one, right? Right, wives? Amen? I'm glad none of you did that. That would have really caused division. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. These are hard promises. They really are. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Hey, go therefore, make disciples. That's your calling. None of this is easy. But let me tell you this. The same God who accomplished a virgin birth, the same God 
who spoke and it was, is the God who saves you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is the God who gives you his instructions and his promises. And he is the one that empowers you to submit to him. This is good. The way of the transgressor is hard. We can all say, yeah, I know that. I've been there. But the best place to be is following God as closely as possible to his word as you can. Right? It is the place, if you think in your own life, when you've been the most faithful, you've been the most happy. I'm not saying easy. I'm saying in those circumstances, you're contented more, you're at peace more, and your focus is upon the return of Christ more. And so you end up like the Apostle John, right? At the end of Revelation, where it's like, hey, amen, this is awesome. Thanks for this vision of what's going to happen, all this kind of stuff. Amen, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? I'm not, I don't have to wait until to see what the result is in my kids' uh, basketball game on Friday night. I, I'm not, I don't want to wait to hold my grandchildren or whatever the thing is. There's nothing that is more exciting to me than to be in the presence of God. Come quickly, end of sin. Show yourself to be powerful. Show yourself to be faithful. Put under your foot the dominion of Satan and, and show this world that you are God and you are king and that your name would be glorified. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's where we're at. I don't know when he's coming. And if I, you know, Maybe tomorrow, maybe now, maybe later. Who knows, right? I know he is. I don't know when. But I can tell you this. Until that time, the calling for us is the same as the calling for Mary, and that is I can hear the word of God, hear his promise, and submit to it. Right? And may the grace of God enable us to do that to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you give us your word. Lord, we, we pray that we would be sensitive to the truth that is in it, and we pray that we would glorify your name by being useful servants so that others may see that you are God and be saved. In Christ's name, amen.